The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Tuesday, November 10th, 2020, and you're listening to the Hitting the Marks podcast, powered by the HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com. As always, presented by Hami Media. On this week's show, we're talking all about the post-election fallout, a guest spot from Big Stevie Cool, sports with Ryan K. Bowman, and a whole lot more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news. It is news from across the entire world. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, across all social media, at HTMPWPod, even though we're terrible about using it. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend. He's the real RBD. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that R and the B to the B. Richard Bronson Vickery back again. The Hitting the Marks podcast. Of course, it's Jargo Soccer. We're talking a little social media. You can find me across all those at the real RBV. But more importantly than that, I am a real American. And we're just one day away. So I, I want to give that early shout out. Veterans Day. Thanks that all have served and what that stands for. And I guess maybe more important now than ever is a country, maybe not to fight it, but deep in diversity right now and how we feel about things you know to really remember those that have given this this opportunity for us to express our opinions and views and and see how we should move forward so a major salute to those that have given all those that continue to give and those that will well said huckleberry i have nothing to add to that um although november 11th is kind of a special day here in the jargo house as well That's right. It's Justice's birthday. Huckleberry, I came up with this this new thing. You know, since we can't sing happy birthday anymore, right? This this song that's playing in the background right now, it's called Happy Birthday to Me by the Vandals. And so my new proposition is, since we can't sing happy birthday to someone, that whoever's birthday it is has to do a solo performance of Happy Birthday to Me by the Vandals and then, according to their performance, we will decide if we want to shower them with gifts or not. What do you think? You think this is a good idea? Well, I, I need you to, you know, to, you know, quote uh, the great George Costanza. Beep, beep, beep. Wait a minute. Back it up. We, we can't sing happy birthday to people here? No, you can't sing happy birthday. It's a super spreader song because, you know, there's, there's so many P's and there's so many B's that, you know, when you sing it, you know, you release droplets into the air and that's a great way to spread the coronavirus. So we can't sing happy birthday anymore. Just the one person whose birthday it is, they have to perform happy birthday to me by the Vandals. 
Well, you know, now you now you just open up an entire floodgate here. Uh, are, is that going to be like a lost tradition now? Uh, forbidden from society, even blowing out birthday candles? Yeah, it sounds that way, man. Like, I'm, I'm amazed you haven't heard about this. I've been hearing about this for weeks now. Maybe this is one of those things I just tuned myself out to. One of the things that, that I just refuse to give into. Well, it's like my mom hit me up yesterday and she's like, uh, what do you guys want to do for Thanksgiving? And I was like, I don't care. It's just a Thursday in my world. I got to go to work. It's like, I'm, I guess I'm available on Saturday if you want to get together and do something. And she's like, well, I just wasn't sure, you know, with the whole COVID thing. And I'm like, mom, you're a respiratory therapist by trade for the love of God. Come on. You know better. Well, so that means someone like William Alcea is no longer allowed to spit on the Whoppers at Burger King when he's putting them together. Man, we'll talk about Burger King. Actually, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll, we'll talk about Bur- Burger King now because I want to get into your weekend update. I, I want to hear all about your weekend. But before we went on air, I was telling you a story. Carly and I went to Burger King on uh, Friday night. Yeah, I know we're romantic like that. But we went to Burger King on Friday night, and, and she got her sandwich and fries and a drink. I got my sandwich, fries, and a drink, and our total was twenty twenty. I looked at Carly, and I said, should we just go somewhere else to get something to eat? Because we know that this meal is going to suck. That was that was pretty much the highlight of my weekend. What do you have going on this weekend, Huckleberry? Well, pretty much what you're telling us, though, is uh, Jargo date night is before you get the Whopper. Yeah, get the Whopper. Oh, she got the Whopper multiple times over this the course of this weekend. Sorry to the kids if you're actually listening to this. But, yeah, it's, it's nice when they're not here for two days. First time that we've been kidless since going back to March. Wow. Yeah. Uh, probably, well, probably one of the few times the kids have been out of the, the house since March. I know little Q there going crazy for a while, stir crazy, ripping the walls apart, just any kind of interaction to get out and about. Uh, but yeah, Jar, you're talking about absolutely craziness. You know, this past weekend, as many of our friends out there know, and, and for our new listeners, away from the podcast game, away from the marketing world, I also lend my voice to the world of drag racing at the NHRA National Track Edgewater Sports Park in Cincinnati, Ohio. And as we're calling the action there Saturday night, it, it's fast and furious. They're ripping and raging up and down the track about midway through the night. And this, mind you, we've got cars going out. We've we got the quicks going on, and they're up there. They're pressing the speeds. They get after it. It's quite impressive. But out of nowhere, and from where I'm at there on the tower, looking behind the starting line, so over to the far left, you see an object. Not really sure where it's coming from, but it, is, it, it kind of just ascends. It falls onto the middle of the track. Uh, so apparently at this point, what we can gather as someone has taken an actual bicycle. Yes, a bicycle, pedal bicycle, full size here. I don't know if they've hammer tossed it, how the hell they have done this thing, but they have launched it a good 20 to 25 yards from the, the stands, from the standing area there in the audience, over a fence, over a wall, onto the track as the cars are going by here. Absolute insanity. So at this, at this point here, what I can gather is a couple of the other spectators immediately engage into fisticuffs with this individual. Uh, as I come to understand, ha 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 out of his mind, uh, under the completely influence of drugs. So he's fighting everyone off here. He's trying to get away. 
Security's on top of him. I believe he got tased at some point. He's still trying to get away here. Well, I'm thinking, you know, this guy can hurl a bicycle 20 to 25 yards. I mean, he's dealing with, like, the Incredible Hawk here. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, what kind of bicycle was this? Are we talking, like, a 10-speed? Are we talking, like, a, a, a GT bike? Because, like, to pick up a bicycle and throw it, let alone over a fence. Like, who was this? Andre the Giant? But so I'm trying to think of just looking at the physics of this thing. It, it was like an Olympic hammer throw. How the hell did this thing happen here? Uh, hey, I guess, you know, it is. You're whack out of your mind. You got that absurd strength going on there. You're not feeling any pain here. As it turned out, he's a local in the area that has a reputation for things like this. Here's a little bit of the back on the guy. Apparently, he lives under a bridge, and he rides a uh, a three-wheeler around. Okay. That's how he gets in about. We're not really sure how he got into the track. We think he was actually probably down at the bar with some individuals, came in unnoticed in the back of a vehicle with them because there is a notice that he should not be on the grounds. He's just one of those bad news individuals. But, yeah, I'm immediately talking, you know, referencing making the jokes there in the tower. Yeah, I, I'm not at the wrestling show. This is That's not usually what I call here. Wow. Okay. Wow. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Of course, we also had a lot of pro wrestling over the course of the weekend with New Japan's power struggle going down, AEW full gear. Stardom had their their big uh, tag team final over in Japan over the course of the weekend. You can have a full update of all that and a whole lot more coming up on Destino this week. Huckleberry, did you watch any wrestling over the course of the weekend? Well, of course I did. You know, I, I did a guest spot yesterday over on Turnbuckle Talk with our good friends. Mighty Joe and Carl Carrollfeld. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I had touch base. We had some tremendous talk about the Undertaker and the expected retirement that we're coming up on here at Survivor Series, and then we also touched base on some AEW and even a little bit of New Japan as we look forward to the best of the Super Juniors. I've been watching a lot of uh, 96, 97 Nitro on the WWE Network. I did notice when I logged into the network last night to start watching Nitro, they have that uh, Paul Bearer story up on WWE Network. I'm going to have to check that out at some point over the course of this week. What do you think, man? Do you have any desire to see an Undertaker match at this point? Because I'm good. Well, again, this is where we differ as fans. We actually differ on a lot of different things here. Is you know, when it comes to professional wrestling, you're worried about that technical side of this thing. You're worried about the actual match itself, where the Undertaker to me represents what is what makes professional wrestling so grand. What makes it the greatest spectacle in all of sport and entertainment is the persona, the mystique, and that's what you get with the Undertaker. So at this point, Undertaker do whatever the hell he wants here. Well, to be clear, I'm not anti-Undertaker. I just feel like if Undertaker was going to be doing something worth doing at Survivor Series, I feel like it would already be set up. Like, I just don't, I don't feel any need to see, like, Undertaker just, like, in a throwaway match doing a guest spot in a four-on-four tag. Well, and what really threw me off here is we got to, we're getting this announcement, uh, what did it do, a couple days ago. So they're giving, let's say, a true two weeks out. Is this working on the fly? If you're going to do something to honor, honor the Undertaker, why weren't we hearing about this at at SummerSlam a month, six weeks out? Is this Set it up at that, Hell in the Cell. It's literally his event. Absolutely. What, why aren't we getting you know more prestige around this thing? Why is there 
aren't you building this up? This seems to me that they are desperate because they realize they are not getting enough attention on this thing, which I can't believe they, they just didn't figure that we're going to tune in again because it's the only time of year the red versus blue and there's and everybody on their own brand is fighting over this nonsense of being a team leader. Oh, that doesn't fly. I can't believe that, you know, why aren't we getting something that's more unique, more detailed towards the undertaker? I can't remember the group I was in or the individual that threw it out here, but I absolutely love this idea. If you're going to go in here and do a true retirement at Survivor Series for The Undertaker, you should have themed this thing around him. Now, I know we can go around and we hate gimmick matches. This would have been an exception to that rule where you could have had a can't-get match, you know, things like yep. everything that was about The Undertaker. And fans would have loved that, and you you kind of highlight his career. What I'm hoping we really get out of this thing, and you're the one that's been saying this for years, the road to WrestleMania does not begin at the Royal Rumble. It begins at Survivor Series. Yes, sir. You've been saying that for years. I think they need to be true to that this year. So what what I pitched there on Turnbuckle Talk, I would love to see Ted DiBiase in the ring. And just in a current day, reacting that my mystery opponent, then bring out Brother Love. We know we got Pritchard there. You know he loves getting dressed up and coming out there and strutting the brother love gear. Have him come out, cut away from when he comes out real quick. Give me a hologram of Paul Bearer in that ring saying, my undertaker. Hit the gongs. Hit all of that. But then, and this is where we might differ here because I, I th- think about though that feeling, all that emotion. Yeah, I'm with you so far, man, completely. So on that, then I'd hit the American Badass. I'd have him come out on the bike. I would do the American Badass from Survivor Series to the Rumble. I'd have him win the damn Rumble and then go to the road to WrestleMania as the dead man. One last ride. I'm not opposed to any of that. Um, I I actually would be down with that, especially with Orton holding the title. Um, I, I actually think that Randy and Taker could actually put together a story that would be good enough that the, the in-ring quality wouldn't be an issue whatsoever. It, it would just be the storytelling between two of the absolute greats. Well, let me throw this one by. It just kind of came to me. You know, because we were talking on Turbuckle Talk about the the streak, the legacy of the streak and all that. And we had some tremendous conversation on that. And, you know, now sitting back and looking at it, I, I am more... I've come to terms with, and I can understand him losing here. What if he goes to WrestleMania and we have a triple threat? You're worried about protecting him in a match? He goes and has a triple threat against then-champion, universal champion, Roman Reigns, other challenger, Brock Lesnar, Undertaker. Undertaker gets that win, defeating the two men that beat him at WrestleMania. I could get down with that. I think there's a hell of a story there. And then that it would also leave things open to go ahead and do edge versus Randy Orton, which seems to be the, the, the plan that they've had in the works for going back to the Royal rumble last year with edges, big return. So yeah, I, I could absolutely see that I'm down for all of that. Well, and it's, it's in that case. I know a lot of people, how dare you, how dare you mention that, you're talking about Roman Reigns. You're talking about a guy that can't go anymore in The Undertaker. You're talking about Brock Lesnar who doesn't want to show up. And on the other side, you want to do a guy who, you know, a part-timer in Edge who's one bad move away from a wheelchair. Randy Orton doesn't care and all that. It doesn't matter. It's about moving. It's about moving your numbers. It's about putting asses in the seats, yep. eyes on the product. Those individuals will absolutely do that. If, if, they, if they can hook individuals, then you light it up with your undercard. That's when you're Kevin Owens and your Sami Zayn's or 
even I know he's older here, but your AJs who was lesser known, that's when they wow. That's when you hold them over. Putting asses in seats. Do you think that we'll have fans at WrestleMania next year? What I really would like, well, that's the tremendous point there. Could we scale back? Could we find a place to make it more of an intimate setting as we are seeing fans return? What about if you do like a, a Manhattan Center or something like that? I, I don't want to give anything to that cesspool in New York City right now. Uh, I don't want them to have any kind of benefit in any area, any stretch of the imagination. But if we could find a small venue like that, that is more intimate. Get down with it. Uh, one more pro wrestling note before we uh, start getting into all the other things that went down over the course of the weekend. Monday, Chris Jericho's 50th birthday. Happy birthday to the demo god, Le Champion, Lionheart, the pain maker. My God, is there anybody in the history of pro wrestling that has more nicknames than Chris Jericho? The best in the world at what he does. If you understand the words I'm saying to you right now. I got to tell you, man, I hope we have one more. You hope we have one more? One more what? I, I got to tell you, I hope, we have, I hope we have one more nickname still to go here for Jericho because I think it could be some of his most masterful work that we've ever seen. I want midlife crisis Chris Jericho right now. Now that he is outside of the demo god area, this is, the, this is the transition I want right here. And I think they have set the table perfectly with MJF entering the inner circle. Oh, that's great. Midlife crisis, Jerry. Well, he's kind of been there right now, hasn't he? He's yeah. in that late 40s. I mean, look at him. He's never been more outlandish. He's surrounding himself with all these young people. He's trying to be hipper than ever. That, that's kind of what we're getting. So let's push Let's push those boundaries here with him. Let's really cross that line. But then have the backlash where now you got MJ up there who maybe that MJ up and Sammy start really becoming good friends. And why are we listening to this old guy here? What, what the hell's going on? I, I think like you it. could go from what Jericho has done since AEW got going and reinventing himself is the biggest heel in Western pro wrestling. He, I think he could be even bigger than that now is the, let's let's call him the baby boomer. Oh, I love wrestling. it. Oh, I just want, I want MJF to come back at Jericho and just with a okay boomer just once. That would be freaking priceless. Well, it, and you don't tell me that Jericho starts the marketing you could have behind baby boomer, baby. Oh my God. Yeah. That's fantastic. Love it. Love it. One of the greatest stories of professional wrestling, you know, Bret Hart getting the world versus the U S what's going on right now is, you know, we talk about the Wednesday night war because it's the demos, the, the universe, the WWE fans that are the older, the, you know, us yeah. versus the millennials that are AEW. It's you great. could set that divide. You know, Jericho is representing all those old people. He's he's under this contract to ADW. They're not going to let him out of it, but he's past the prime there. Oh, it's fantastic. I love who, it. Who could, he, who could he start aligning himself? Maybe he starts running around with uh, Dustin Rhodes and Billy Gunn and Matt Hardy. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is, yes. Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. Vicky Guerrero can be the cougar of the group. You've already got, uh, you know, they've, they've got a sponsorship deal there with Cracker Barrel. So maybe they, Jericho, when he leaves the inner circle, he's reaching out to all these other, you know, older stars and he starts the Golden Corral. Oh, that's great. Great. I totally thought you were going to make a Cracker joke there for a second. And I was going to, I was going to accuse you of being Dave Chappelle, but we'll talk about him a little bit later too. Um, first, we got to talk about Alex Trebek. 
We lost Alex Trebek over the course of the weekend. You know, when he got to the pearly gates and he was met by Sir Sean Connery, where he said, suck it, Trebek. Um, Alex Trebek, now, were you a Jeopardy fan growing up? I never got into Jeopardy. I think I was just too stupid for Jeopardy. Oh, absolutely. Maybe not growing up. I don't think that's one of those things that as a kid you're really jumping on towards. Uh, but, you know, working in the bars all those years, especially, you know, a happy hour mid-shift, what's on television? See, for me, it, like, for really me... Sports all day, you, you want something else. You get, Well, do you want the local news and what follows the local news? You got Jeopardy. See, I, I, I guess it's just the household that you grew up in because, you know, like, there were there were homes that watched, you know, the, the NBC nightly news and got Jeopardy and all that, whereas in the home that I grew up in, it was the CBS news and we stuck around for Wheel of Fortune. Like, Pat Sajak is higher than Alex Trebek to me. Now, that would be that. That's an incredible conversation you could have when we're talking about icons of game shows. Well, I you mean, know, there, 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 there's Barker, and then there's everybody else, right? I, I would think so. You know, it, but one of the things we, you know, when we really think about Trebek, what made him so special is he. What we hold him in regards of that intellectual. Yeah. Because you know that was the ultimate quiz show. Yeah. And he he just represented that role so much. Like you even believed, you know, he wasn't reading off a cue card or being fed all that. He knew that he all actually, those answers. Yes, that he was asking those competitors. You know, it was almost like you were stepping up to Trebek's level there. Now on that though, you know, just it's human nature. Sometimes you get jealous of that. You know, that intellectual. But you think they're better than us, or they're you know they've been given more in life than that. But he also came across as so humble, right? Where he was a people person. And that's where you got that connection with him. Yeah, he truly was kind of like that wise old either grandfather or uncle. He's kind of the undertaker of the game show world. Like that guy lived the gimmick, like all the way down to the way that he presented himself, the voice, the intellectual, the, the mustache, the glasses. Like he was constantly reinventing it. He's kind of the undertaker of the game show world. Hey, let's not forget, you know, the, the ties of professional wrestling. You know, he did some WrestleManias and all that. And Yeah. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. True American treasure. Now, real quick, you know, as we do have a little time here. You, you, you talk about Bob Barker and all that and that transition to Drew Carey. And, you know, it took Drew a little bit now, but people now associate, you know, a whole generation now looking at the prices, right, is it's Drew Carey's. And, and, you know, and I guess kudos to Drew Carey to stick through that because that is a quite a mountain to climb, you know, to be able to reestablish yourself there. Yeah. Anybody off the top of your mind that that, that you believe that could kind of fill those shoes, those shoes of a Trebek? Oh wow. Um. You know, it's so difficult because now it seems like when you need a game show host, they go for a comedian. Of some kind. I mean, you bring up Drew Carey. Um, there, there, there's so many of them. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the the gentleman who does uh, the show. Let's make a deal. Wayne Brady. Is Wayne Brady going to have the choker bitch? Uh, he he got that gig. Like game shows. It seems like they've just become like comedians now. And I don't know if there's any one comedian that necessarily stands out as that intellectual, uh, maybe the clear eyes guy. What's his name for dry eyes. Clear eyes is awesome. I, I don't know. You got me on that one. Uh, uh, Bill Stein, right? 
or Ben Stein. When Ben Stein's yeah, money. Well, I, yeah, you're right. I, I actually did kind of think about that, but he also, if you want to go that comedian route, but I think you got to stay true to you know what the Jeopardy we know as it is. I, I don't think you want that. You know, when you talk about Price is Right or Let's Make a Deal, that is more of an upbeat, fun environment where they want you to be a little zany. You know, they want you to be loud. I'm just even wondering now that you know you kind of mentioned that you look across where we are looking for our intellectuals, like when we look to a Fox News or a CNN on that, you're getting more of that zaniness across the board instead of somebody that that true traditional reporter that you do feel comfortable with. That is that wise uncle or grandfather that you are trusting. Well, I guess when we talk about our problems, even spins off here a little bit into our media, we don't have that comfortability, that feeling that connection anymore with those personalities. Well, you, you bring up, you know, like our political commentators and whatnot, and I'm basically just losing their minds. How much of that is just the Trump effect? Like I, now, I mean, clearly we're working under the understanding that we will have a president Biden. All right. I, I, inside of this hypothetical scenario, the Trump effect has, has just raged its way through all media, made them completely lose their mind. Hell, I saw Nora O'Donnell lose her freaking mind the other night. I've seen Anderson Cooper lose his mind in the last week. Hell, even Major Garrett went off the deep end at about 3 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. Um... I don't know. I, I don't know what in the world our political media is going to look like in a post-Trump world. Yeah, you get it. You, you regularly see this, and you put this out there on your your thoughts of the day. Uh, I believe Monday, correct? Yeah. Uh, about you know personality and all this, and everybody right now they just want to put under that microscope of what we're doing here in this election, and even going back to the Obama. Th- that's been the case throughout all of the elections. Since the elections have been going, it's it's been about that over the top. It's about that personality, that what those qualities are that you can make those connections that that wins and loses these races. Well, I I think there was a lot of people that took my original quote out of context. Um, For anybody who is not friends with me on Facebook, you're not allowed to see it because you know of how I set up my privacy settings. But I, I do my top 10 random thoughts of the day. And number one was elections used to be determined by policy, not personality. And there was a few of you, and you even jumped on it right away. He was like, right out the gate, I disagree with number one. I, I, I think you all kind of missed my point. My point was, not all of our presidents have been nice people. You know, there, there's been such a referendum on, oh, well, Trump is an asshole. Oh, my God, his Twitter feed. I can't believe he said that. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, George Washington was a fucking prick. Abraham Lincoln was a fucking prick. John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Are you kidding me? You want to talk about a personality that 2020 would hate? It would be John Fitzgerald Kennedy. But it didn't matter because people were voting on policy and we didn't have this this window into the, the real people inside of the office that we have now with social media. That was well, really my point. And my disagreement there is I, I got what you were going with in that direction. My difference was there, it wasn't so much on policy. It was about a connection to those individuals. But we had to look at how, what that meant in the, that scope, in that moment, what those connections could be. As you were mentioning, as individuals there, I mean, we had some ruthless leaders that were cutthroat, win at all costs, eliminate the competition. You know, the almighty dollar, bottom line matters. I'm sitting here in Harrison, Ohio right now. William Henry Harrison. He rose to power 
under his military guidance where he was absolutely known for if there was an Indian tribe, they would be eliminated and wiped out. No questions asked. You bet. We were moving forward. So what the people at the time saw was someone that was American first, that was for our citizens, that was not going to let anybody stand in our way of advancement. That's your connection. Not necessarily if he agreed, you know, if taxes or whatever that case might be, you believe in that dude. He was going to take care of business. He was going to get it done and he was going to move you forward. Well, and, and also on the other end of the spectrum, right? We have had some complete freaking idiots hold that office, right? Like you've had Lyndon B. Johnson. You've got Jimmy Carter, who is nothing more than a freaking peanut farmer. Uh, to go to more recent history, I mean, I don't think anybody is accusing George H.W. Bush of being like, you know, the greatest speaker of the last hundred years. I mean, the, the fact that he was kind of a mumbling idiot was the media's real go-to, you know? But again... They were voted on policy, not because, you know, I really think that he's a nice guy. Well, I, I think that's a good where I disagree here. If you look at Bush, too, coming out, you know, we had the scandal with Clinton, who is this playboy. He's your Ric Flair of politics. You know, that's a hell of a description right there. The Ric Flair <laughs> of politics. It's the, these, these space mountain at the White House. We're talking we about had. Bill, not Hillary, ladies and gentlemen. I know when we say Clinton, there's a lot of your brains now that just immediately go to Hillary, but. So, so in that, so what do they do when they come out of that thing? You know, you kind of do. You have that that southern that country boy. They're selling it as get away from the playboy. You can have a beer with this guy. He'll walk in. He'll walk into your local dive. He'll throw peanut shells on the floor. He's gonna toast you with you know that big old ice cold draft beer. You're gonna and have. Then a good he's time. gonna go home with your wife. Well, no, they're getting away from that. <laughs> you know, Bush is the guy that's he's homegrown. You know, he's that guy down the street. You're up fixing cars, cutting grass, you're doing all that. You know, you're getting away from the Playboy style, you know, that you had with Clinton. That's your transitions there. You've seen this here. In this election here, you have Trump, who is a major personality. He is a superstar. That's what he is about. How do you counter that? You got Hyden Biden sitting. He's he's going along with the rest of the country that has believed into this fear. He's campaigning from his basement. He can fix everything with a mask. He's a comfort zone. That's absolutely what you have here. And that's how they persuaded it. And so, and you had enough individuals to buy into that. This is all a personality race. Biden talking Monday, giving his address there. If this is ours, and he, I, I believe they're doing okay with that. You know, he's seen they're not claiming, truly claiming anything. He's saying, no, oh, this, this is ours. Why they're doing this? They're, they're wearing that correctly. But he goes round and round. We need to talk about, you know, race relations. We need to talk about unemployment. We need to talk about getting back to normalcy. But he continues to go back to that mask. That mask is his safety net. Yeah. And, and of course, Biden can't say anything without a teleprompter. But, you know, he learned that from Obama. I do agree with you that the American people, we tend to go opposite. Right. So like we had Bush, who was not very well spoken. We went to Obama, who was arguably the greatest speaker in American history, even though he spoke in platitudes that didn't actually mean anything. And nobody really remembers anything that he said over the course of eight years. Then we go to Trump, who is about as the opposite of Barack Obama as you can possibly get. Now we go to Joe Biden. There is talk about Trump 2024. And, and I do want to talk about that because I do think that that is a possibility. But more importantly, let's say that we don't go to Donald Trump in 2024. 
with the status of the Republican Party as it is, what in the hell do you do to pull it out of the the Trump years? I mean, who does the Republicans go to if not Donald Trump in 2024? Because right now I see nobody positioned to actually make that run. And I think that that's actually a good thing right now. I think if you are the Republicans, you know, we look across the board. I know we got some numbers to run through here in a little bit where everyone right now is just, oh, the Democrats pulled this off. They got the White House back. That's not necessarily the case about who actually won this election. We're going to break down all of that. Uh, but if but if you're sitting here as a base, as a Republican Party, and this goes back four years ago, and I've hoped that they've had these conversations that they're you know they're back to square one here this has got to truly be a rebuilding they need to stand their ground when it comes to squaring off against the left against the democrats again we, we do want to work together we want to build those bridges but as far left as we're going to get from the presumable president and vice president here you cannot give any leeway It is absolutely insane to say this out loud, but for a conservative that Mitch McConnell is our general now who has to stand there and go blow for blow and not give in to anything that they want us to give here, that's what's going to happen. In that term, though, Republicans, they've got to retool where the left was the working class. They were the blue collar. They were the average show, the, the dream of building, you know, buy a house, have That's one or two That's not the cars. case anymore. They, well, hold on. They still represent those individuals. Now they've just added on all these other special interest groups, you know, whatever the case might be. The Republicans have to look over, honestly, and say, how can we start persuading more of, let's say, like the union-based employees those blue collar, that middle class to swing over to our side because there is still a a huge, you know, a strong standoff from those union workers that the Republicans need if their party's going to grow. They need to start pulling a little bit of that base over and reform themselves. A few names that I'm going to throw out there um, that I, if you're on the right and you're wondering where in the hell does the party go from here, to me, these are your top three for 2024 right now. Uh, Number one, Marco Rubio. Number two, Senator Tim Scott. And number three, Nikki Haley. What do all three of those people have in common? They're not old white men. I think that needs to be the direction of the Republican Party going into 2024. I'm not a big Marco Rubio fan. I'm surely not a big Nikki Haley fan, although I think she would make a very good vice president. But I, if I was going to support anybody right now, it would be Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. He would be my Republican nominee for 2024. I think what's really important, especially early on here, is we're kind of, we're, you know, we're, we're just barely turning the page. We're kind of trying to get the fingers wet enough so we can grab the corner to get that thing going. Is you start running out there different sample groups. As you are saying, you put together different personalities, different you know, concepts, see who's going to like what each represents. And then you keep, you keep that candidate kind of in, you know, in the back on that back burner so that you're not giving the other side enough time to start digging up dirt and start just absolutely destroying this individual. Hey, I'll, you know, hand just to the Democrats, you know, Barack Obama came out of nowhere. Yeah. If, if the Republicans would have had time or we're talking about in, you know, 
2020 here where especially with social media and how people everybody out there is you know a hard-nosed reporter that's digging up dirt it would have been easily to absolutely destroy the Obama campaign. You do not want that to happen to get away from you before you actually get up and off the ground running. This was the best election for the Republican Party when it comes to the African-American vote, when it comes to the female vote, when it comes to the Hispanic vote. And I absolutely expect to see some kind of a combination in that group going into 2024. Um, and I think that would be really, really smart for them. Uh, of course, we're functioning under the presumability that we are going to have the 46th president of the United States, Mr. Joe Biden, along with Vice President Kamala Harris. As it stands from the Associated Press right now, Biden 290, Trump 214. Here are the popular vote numbers in case you're curious, because for some reason, I'm not hearing anybody talk about them this year. Biden 75,404,182, Trump 70,903,094. Dr. Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian candidate, 1.7 million. And Howie, the Green Party candidate, they really fell off this year, 352,000. Um, good news if you're a Libertarian uh, like myself, we got more votes than we really ever have, with the exception of uh, going back four years, and we, we won't even talk about that. But the bad news is that only equates to 1.1% of the vote, with Biden and Trump both getting over 70 million votes, even with the Libertarians getting 1.7 million it doesn't get us anywhere close to where we need for the Federal Election Commission and, and campaign finance and whatnot. Do, do these numbers really tell you anything, though, Rick? I mean, we're, we're talking a difference of five million votes throughout the country. I guess the important thing has got to be we were pushing 150 million votes to, for the two main candidates. You know, you know, we get into these numbers and it's, you know, the facts where they come from here and everything is becoming so skewed. Oh, that's and for I guess, sure. And I guess it brings a bigger picture of, and I don't want to say reform. You know, again, the biggest question coming up now is, is trust in the system. Yeah. And is that's my biggest fear with Trump filing lawsuits and, and whatnot. Even if Trump would win, so you have 50% of the country who knows that the election was rigged against Trump and you have 50% of the country that feel like the election was just stolen from them. Even if Trump would win, you're completely underwriting the entire election process in the eyes of the American people. And I'm just not sure that's a good thing. And I agree with you 100 percent. I think, you know, as we talk and you had mentioned there, you know, Trump 2024, this is a real opportunity for him to reinvent himself, whatever that next step might be. If it is to go to television or to just remain in business, it is, you know, to continue influencing politics. I mean, there's no doubt that when, he, you know, people, I'm a social media influencer, Donald Trump has changed the world in this stance. And he has come in and shaken the system to its very core. What his legacy will be down the road. I mean, that's a great debate conversation inside of itself. But what he has done here, this is an opportunity. If he would come out here and say, you know what? I've, I've said from day one, I love America. I believe in America. And part of that is this system. Is it perfect? No. Has Have I been wronged here? Possibly. But I still believe, and I believe in that's core. I will give the win, hand it over at this point. But in that same sense, say, but my fight is not over. You know, they didn't think I'd ever take the White House for just even four years. 
We will continue to fight in our own right. I will continue to rally individuals behind me. That gives you that faith in, you know, his people behind him. And, it, you know, it might inspire others to say, you know what, maybe we didn't give him a fair shake here. Maybe a lot of things he was presenting to us are the right direction for this country. And we need to keep those in mind. It kind of overall for the Republicans, this is almost a pers- perfect situation as you're, you know, you're kind of playing tennis back and forth. All right. The ball's back in your court, Democrats. It's time to shit or get off the pot. This next four years could this it could be more. We're talking about where the Republicans go. This could be detrimental for the Democrats. They could implode right now. You and I had regular conversations about this. It's only a matter of time. You go so far left when they start turning on each other. Yeah, yeah, and. In my mind, anyway, regardless of the White House, the Democrats have lost this election. Uh, Democrats wasted more than a half a billion dollars trying to flip a lot of seats. Democrats lost a net minus four, Republicans a plus five inside of the House of Representatives. They It sure looks anyway like they're going to hold on to the Senate if things go the way that I expect them to down in Georgia. So we're going to still have a divided Congress, which means congratulations, President Biden. Absolutely nothing is going to happen over the course of the next two years. And I did see, I believe it was John McPherson, had responded to uh, my post and had pointed out that, you know, well, if anybody, Biden is willing to put the far left in in their place, he's going to go and he's going to tell the squad, you know, nope, we're not doing the Green New Deal. I'm going to reach across the aisle and work with Republicans. And my response to that is bullshit. Here, that, that's exactly what's going to happen. That is going to be the perception. Here is the reality. The Green New Deal is never going to make it through the Senate. It is a 0% chance, assuming that Republicans hold on to the Senate. Biden can basically make the illusion that he's putting the squad in their place. No, we're not even going to bring up the Green New Deal. I'm not going to sign it. Knowing full fucking well it would never even make it to his goddamn desk because McConnell is going to block it in the Senate perception is key in all of this. And that's exactly what I see going down for the next two years. Well, absolutely. You know, we're going to get a lot of smoke in the mirrors, but you know, that, that comes with, with every, every cycle. It, it just, it would be simply incredible. At this point, Joe has been pushed, you know, going back, if, if Joe would have ran there where in the spot where Hillary was at, I would have had some belief in him. I, I really would have thought that he could have built a bridge, that he was someone that had been working with both sides for so long that knew how the game worked, that he, that he could have been a part of this. We were talking last week, more parties, more parties, where I'm like, how about no parties? Let's let's just run off what they really stand on. Going back four years ago, I would have believed in Biden on that thing. But now he has been so influenced, so pushed left, there's absolutely no way we're going to get any cooperation on anything. I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I, I don't see any kind of a good solution in this entire thing when it comes to President Biden and the far left. In fact, Virginia Representative Abigail Spanberger, a Spanberger, that might be something that we need to add to the RBV fitness uh, because this woman tore the Democrats a new asshole. They, uh, they, they got together, all the Democrats, and they basically were doing an autopsy on this election. Abigail Spanberger from Virginia points this out. 
If we are classifying Tuesday as a success from a congressional standpoint, we will get fucking torn apart in 2022. She also points out that, you know, saying defund the police over and over probably cost them some seats inside of the House. She also points out that the Democratic Party should never, ever, 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 ever say socialism ever again because it's costing them votes inside of the House. Rick, she is absolutely right. I, I, the way that I look at this election and what happened inside of the House of Representatives is a direct dictation and a referendum on Nancy Pelosi and the leftist agenda that's going on inside of the House. They thought they were expecting a blue tidal wave. They were going to pick up like 17 seats. They were going to take the Senate. They were going to take the White House. We're going to put in this socialist agenda. That's not what happened whatsoever. I think at this point, the only thing that Republicans and Democrats agree on is Nancy Pelosi's got to go. They're going to make a real run at her when this new Congress is sworn in. She may not even be the speaker, regardless if the Democrats have the House or not. What we're talking about, these parties maybe reinventing themselves or where they go into the future. And obviously, when we look at the Republican side, there is, you know, how are they going to rebuild themselves? And a lot of it is you got a sense of it that they really didn't see it with Trump as a part of it. You know, not that they wished him out in any way, but not a lot of speaking up to support him right now with everything going on. Obviously, you don't want to lose the White House, but maybe not the worst thing could happen to them. When you look at the Democrat side and now it has become a party where the perception is they are overly pushing this. You know, this agenda where everything is a format formula, the socialist agenda. Is that truly the voice of the party or are we just getting a vocal minority that is getting headlines, that's getting pushed because it is rallying people up? It's it's clickbait in a sense. And it doesn't help at all that Pelosi's right there at the top of it. But, you know, the other, you know, like the AOC and all that, that are just a minuscule, just portion of what truly represents the Democratic Party. They need inside of themselves to make sure they start begin silencing that or again, they are going to implode during this next four years. Well, this is why I've been saying that they're, the Democratic Party at this point is really more a reality of two different parties. I mean, there is a socialist party and then there is a Democratic party and they're all parading around like Democrats, kind of like on the right where you have a conservative party and you have Republicans. Those far right people scare me just as much as the squad does. I mean, some of these people are completely freaking wacko, man. There's a reason I'm a damn libertarian and not a Republican. I just can't deal with that shit. Well, absolutely. And, and, I think that's going to be the biggest thing here in these next four years, and it's going to be much easier for the Republicans to sit back and redefine themselves because they're not under the scrutiny or the spotlight of the White House as opposed now to the Democrats, And it, which means it, if you're the Republicans and now you're sitting back here game planning, you take your loss in the White House. But overall, as we said, hey, it's just not about that one position. It, you know, It's about the, the, whole, the bigger picture, the whole ball game. They're sitting pretty. They can gear themselves up to make sure that in four years, they have the next eight years where we, that might not be the case. I think you're going to see more bickering coming out of the left than we've ever seen before. I, that party is in some serious trouble during this next four year run. The 2022 midterms are going to be very, very telling of kind of where the world is going and where the country at least is going. Although I, I do feel like there is a globalist agenda, but we're far too deep into the show to get into that. Um, in fact, 
let's go ahead. Let's take a break and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be right back. Hami Media Group continues to grow to new heights because of our loyal fan base and incredible sponsors. You followed us on our affiliate Hami Media Group channels for all of our awesome shows, including South Park Reviews, NFO Star Wars, and the Academy Star Trek Reviews, The Horror Junkyard, and all of our affiliate programming. We will continue to bring you the best in wrestling, conspiracy, and alternative media. Thank you for supporting our sponsors, subscriptions, sending bits, and promotion of the Hameen Media Group platform. Add both Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on your iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube feeds. Thank you to the following sponsors. Zordos Olive Oil. Zordos Olive Oil is the finest artisan Greek olive oil on the market today. It's also the perfect holiday gift. You can make your family's favorite holiday recipe and they'll say it's the best thing they've eaten all year. It's imported. It's ultra premium Greek olive oil and it's available now at ZordosOliveOil.com. Again, that's ZordosOliveOil.com. Zordos Olive Oil. Taste the difference for yourself. The Coffee Roasters at TheBroasters.com. A new five-pound bag of Vince Russo Bro Coffee is here. Stock up before the next lockdown, bro. TheBroasters.com is the only place to get the limited edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Get up and have a cup of bro, bro. Exclusively from TheBroasters.com and RussoBrand.com. Use the official promo code BRO5LB when you place your order and you'll save some money, bro. At Hameen Media Group, we're all about self-improvement. Improve your mind and body with Stevie Richards Fitness. Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and take control of your fitness with Stevie's Resistance Band programs. These programs have been set up for every level of fitness. You can also try the brand new Stevie Richards Yoga Program to make sure your flexibility and balance improve so you can feel your best. Visit StevieRichardsFitness.com today and build a better you. ProWrestlingTees.com, the best way to support your favorite independent wrestlers, podcasts, and hosts from the Hami Media Group and Russo brand is to get their official merchandise exclusively at ProWrestlingTees.com. Support all of the great Hami Media Group talent by visiting their Pro Wrestling Tea stores, such as the Greek God Papadon, BWO Stevie Richards, Big Sal under SEG shirts, Chris Silvio, the superstar himself, and of course, Ben Hameen, Yala. Hey, Infidel. You want to become an official HMG operative? Well, now's your chance. Just follow us on Twitter at Hameen Media Group. Shoot us a request, and we'll send you the invite link so you can join the brand new private Discord server under Hameen Media Group. You can also join us on Facebook in the Hameen Media Discussion Group and interact with the entire HMG army. Play along in the Pick'em Challenges, hang out in the Watch Along threads, and interact with the HMG hosts. You can also check out all of HMG's Conspiracy Horseman propaganda on our Instagram by following us at Hameen Media Group. Like, follow, and share, or be destroyed. Once again, thank you to all of our sponsors, subscribers, followers, guests, producers, and hosts of Hameen Media Group. 2.2 million downloads for Hameen Media Group is all because of your efforts and support. Now, let's get to the main event. All right, so we are back for segment two. RBV's eating the steak, getting on his uh, RBV fitness. Next week on the show, we are going to have Stevie Richards, 
from Stevie Richards Fitness. Some of you might have heard of him. And it's going to be Stevie Richards Fitness versus RBV Fitness as we talk about the vices of the presidential election and post-election depression. can barely talk today. But we did have a couple more timely topics that I wanted to get into that I wanted to make sure that we hit this week. And number one, Huckleberry, we got to talk about this Dave Chappelle thing. Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live this week. And, you know, I I don't normally go out of my way to watch anything on SNL. Actually, I don't watch much NBC in general. Um, But this Chappelle thing caught my eye. I didn't even know that Chappelle was hosting SNL. Did you? Yeah, that's a bit of a shocker there, too. Am I on here? Yeah, I got to make sure I'm back on here. Between between my in my uh, my bites here, you know you got to stick with that that strict regimen with RBV Fitness. But yep, surprised they didn't make a bigger deal about this. You know, just trying to bring back you know just the namesake and try to bring just more attention towards their show. You, you mentioned, you know, it's been a while since you really regularly tuned into it, and really just the bad reviews that have followed the show for probably a better part of ten years. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough run for SNL. It really has. I actually have enjoyed this last cast or even the last two ca- casts. Uh, it's not something I go out of my way to watch, but, you know, if I happen to be usually, you know, as we get older here, you have the lovely family to occupy your time. But, you know, if I sit alone on a Saturday night and pondering what what I have done with my life and what direction I'm moving in <laughs> uh, between between the, the, the tears and beers, if I'm flipping through the channels and I see Saturday Night Live, I, I'll tune in for a little bit and I chuckle. I, I enjoy the show there. I think they do a good job, but yeah, this would have been an opportunity, I believe, for them, especially around the election, because that's where they really shine. They do such a, a tremendous job, and you know, no matter what side of the fence you're on, there, you got you just you kind of get lost in it. You know, they do have their agenda and a sort, but they do a fairly decent job of representing both. But to miss out on somebody like Chappelle here, and then to me, what he went out there and delivered, they should absolutely be the talk of the town. I know it was on our run. I was, you know, listening around on some other shows to see how much coverage this was going. Not a whole lot out there. Not a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot of people bringing this up. Um, I was going to try to clip this thing and I, I came to the conclusion. It's like 13 minutes long and people need to hear all of it. You, you have to hear all of it in its full context in order to, to really get what Chappelle was going at. What I did, think you actually too with it. We'll add the link to, you know, the actual video, because there's a lot of body language you need inside of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Even a couple of jokes that didn't landed. Like, you know, there's bad people on both sides the the, the the audience didn't really know how to respond to that. And Chappelle was like, okay, so moving on, um, which you don't see happen to somebody like Dave Chappelle very often. What did you think of this monologue? Did you like the monologue? Did you hate the monologue? Where are you at with it? Immediately going into anything, Dave Chappelle, you know, I, I take that approach as the same thing as, you know, to relate back to the our, our ties of professional wrestling, uh, Randy Orton being Randy Orton. It's Dave Chappelle being Dave Chappelle. Yeah. You know, when he immediately goes out there and goes on the attack on one side, you take it for what it is. That's what he's, you know, he's going to pop that, that left. But if you're on the right, don't take, you know, extreme offense to it. And because, you know, he's going to turn the other cheek there. He's going to go at the left. You know, he's out there. He's trying to speak the truth that he can, but he's an entertainer. He's a personality. He's one of those superstars. We're talking about with Trump. They come from that same grain. You know, you put a camera on them. It's lights on. It's game on. That's what you get. 
you know, the thing that killed me as I was watching this and I, I, before the show, you and I were talking, you know, what if Andrew Dice Clay would have gave the same monologue? What would the response have been? And I'm pretty sure he would have been drug out into the street and tarred and feathered in the middle of New York City. I'm pretty sure that would have been the response. But even to bring it back into something that's that's a bit more current, somebody that currently is doing guest appearances on Saturday Night Live, what if it was Jim Carrey? I mean, really, any white guy, if he would have went out and gave this monologue, people would have completely lost their freaking minds. At one point, Chappelle even said during the monologue, oh, did I trigger you? Because somebody in the crowd must have been getting upset by what he was saying, but this was a pretty racy monologue. I mean, granted, with Chappelle, you, you know there's going to be a certain amount that is just going to be shock and awe, like him walking out and smoking a cigarette, which is something that you just don't see on national television anymore, let alone, like, the first time he dropped the N-bomb, I was like, oh, he did, I, I clearly, I, I'm watching Dave Chappelle, I would just have it in my head that he was going to say that. He didn't really say that. And then he said it like another half a dozen times throughout the monologue. And it was just like, oh, wow. How are people not completely losing their minds over this? How is Dave Chappelle not being canceled left and right? Yeah, I, I love everything you bring up here, Jarka. And it, it's, this, can, this is going to spin off into some tremendous conversation. Uh, let's start with this. You know, just a comparison of is he simply getting away with this because he's an African-American, a black guy saying this? Let's be legit. It was probably wit, you know written by a white guy. Well, yeah. I mean, he even called out Lauren Michaels. He was like, "Hey, I thought we were doing a comedy show here." Well, so inside of that, so even something as simple and symbolic, we're talking about that body language. He is in the social cesspool of of the East. He's in New York City, and he's out there smoking a cigarette inside of tight quarters. I mean. Th- Nobody would, else can get away with that. That would be an ultimate trigger. And then you kind of had mentioned, okay, now if Andrew Dice Clay has said this, now let's spin it here. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Andrew Dice Clay doesn't say it on Saturday Night Live in New York City. Would it be uh, where he would be? You're, you're right. He would just be crucified at that point. It, it's game over. What if he says that in Iowa or in Texas? If it's Andrew Dice, hey, giving that to a different audience, and they're going absolutely insane, they are crazy about it. media will spin that into that the whole area is you know racist and hateful and all this. Does Jim Carrey get a pass because he's Canadian? Because he is, who has spoken out and said that he is for socialism, that he is completely against everything at the right. It, are those those different gray areas where you're allowed a little bit of leeway, or ex, I guess I don't want to say acceptance, but allowance inside of you know, what your message might be and how you deliver it. Well, one of the things that really stood out to me was Dave Chappelle talking about his great home state of the OHIO and talking about, you know, how he's saving his town. He's doing shows out in a cornfield and and the farmers are complaining about it. And then he basically goes on to say that, you know, if, if you're a white guy who lives in Ohio, you're basically a member of the KKK and a proud member, you know, you're even going to Walmart wearing your freaking KKK hood and all that. And it's just like, so you're saying that every white person that lives in Ohio is a member of the Klan? And it's like, I, shh, I, I realize, shh, shh, don't tell everyone that. I realize that it's supposed to be humorous and I realize that it's supposed to be funny, 
unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that actually fucking believe this. Well, good, you know, because that that's really going oh, to deter. Oh my god! And hitting the marks has been canceled. <laughs> it, that's actually going to deter a lot of you know. Ohio was questionable, you know, which way we were going to lean this year here. So that's going to deter a lot of the left from moving here to the great state of the OHIO. Uh, there is and, that. Uh, those, those that are actually going to see through this thing for what it is, those are the intelligent ones. And that, they can come from any any creed, any race, walk of life, whatever it might be. You know, we, we want the intellectuals. We are building a better Ohio. Uh, so those other individuals, they can stay away, you know. But, yeah, it, 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 you are right, you know, especially, you know, if do you feel offended if you're on the left, the right, whatever. And he's, he just blatantly comes out of here and, you know, puts Ohio on blast. Well, I mean, because the the problem is, while I understand Chappelle joking about it, the problem is clips like this from Van Jones over at CNN. Well, it's easier to be a parent this morning. It's easier to be a dad. It's easier. It's easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. And it's easier for a whole lot of people. If you're Muslim in this country, you, you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's gonna be happier to have babies snatched away or send, send dreamers back for no reason. <laughs> This is vindication for a lot of people who have really suffered. You know, the, the, I can't breathe. You know, that wasn't just George Floyd. That was a lot of people that felt that they couldn't breathe. Every day you're waking up and you're getting these tweets and you just don't know. And you're going to the store and, and people who have been afraid to show their racism are getting nastier and nastier to you. And you're worried about your kids and you're worried about your sister. And can she just go to Walmart and, and get back into the, her car without somebody saying something to her? And, 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 and you spent so much of your life energy just trying to hold it together. And this is a big deal for us just to be able to get some peace and, 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 and have a chance for, for, for a reset. And, and the character of the country matters. And, 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 and being a good man matters. You know, I just want my sons to, to look at this. Look at this. You know, it's easy to, to, to do it the cheap way and, 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 and get away with stuff, but it comes back around. It comes back around, and it's a good day for this country. I, I'm sorry for the people who lost. I, for them, it's not a good day, but for a whole lot of people, it's a good day. Rick, that's real emotion. That is a man who is seeing racism everywhere that he looks and believes that every white person is out to get them. And this is like a, a narrative that I am seeing all throughout the country, you know, kind of like, you know, people that are pissed off that Biden won the election. No, no, not the Trump supporters that are pissed off that Biden won the election. It's the people on the left are pissed off because it was close. Like racism won today. Racism almost took overtook, you know, the the, the good, wholesome left. No, that's that's not the case at all. It's the, one of the things that we were going to talk about on this week's show, and we're going to get into this even further next week because there's a full Harvard study that I really want to discuss with you. That's called prevalence-induced concept change in human judgment, 
And basically what they do is they go through and they're showing all these people these blue dots. And then they tell them that the blue dots are going to disappear. And suddenly all the blue dots turn purple. Because if you tell somebody, well, this is becoming more rare, they will start looking for it everywhere. And I feel like that's where we are in this country with these far extremes where, where people on the left just assume that everybody on the right is, is clearly a Nazi or you're a member of the Klan. And that's the only reason that you would support Donald Trump. And that is just not the case. I, 50% of the country roughly voted for Donald Trump. 50% of the country roughly voted for Joe Biden. And, and just this split that is so hard and it's, oh, well, you're either this way or you're that. You're either a socialist or you're a member of the Klan. No, there's a hell of a lot of space in between there. It would, it would ultimately, it creates is this need for big brother, big government to take care of you. They have to be in charge at the top so that they can protect you no matter where you are. And again, it's going back and looking for these blanket answers, which that is not the case. That is going to be an incredible downfall inside this country. And going back, if we get a mandate across the board about lockdowns or regulations or requirements for masks, that's not going to do anyone any good. You're creating more of a divide. You're creating that separation and more hatred than you are bringing people together. Yeah. But that, is, and, it's, and this is a case where, in, you know, to be fair here, this has been created by both sides, by both parties. You know, you ultimately, you need us, you know, for your guns or for so that unborn lives can be protected in all this fashion. They're absolutely going to, going to destroy that. Instead of having open conversations about how we can, okay, we, you know, maybe you do have a point over here. We don't need, you know, tanks or, you know, semi-automatic, whatever the case might be there. I mean, more, like one of the things, you know. I, I I see no logical reason that have, anybody I, in this country needs to own an AR-15. That doesn't mean I want to ban all guns. That just means I see no logical reason why anybody needs to own an AR-15. That's just me. I'm not trying to take yours. I'm just saying I don't see it. But as you're saying there, Jargo, the conditioning is because you simply say that, oh, you must be one of the, you're, you're way over there. Yep. Oh, I guess you want you want to bring illegals in. You want everyone just run crazy in this country just by making a simple statement. I with you on that, you know. But again, I would need to be more educated. I want to have the conversation because I don't fully understand uh, if you want to call it a lifestyle, a hobbyist, or whatever it is. You know, people that are gun enthusiasts. I just see absolutely no use for an AR-15. Like you're not going hunting with an AR-15. Guarantee you that. If you're not going hunting with an AR-15, then what in the fuck do you need one for? You know, I, I just, of course, I, I firmly support the banning of all guns. Let's go back to carrying fucking samurai swords because that actually requires a little bit of talent to know how to use it. You know, but, you know, that's just me. That's just me. And, and, and I think that's a libertarian view. Also on this week's SNL, we got to hear some new Foo Fighters. New Foo Fighters coming out on February 5th, 2021. Huckleberry, are, are you a Foo Fighters fan? And, you know, while we're still on SNL, that's the one thing that when I always lose interest in the show. I've never been the into musical the musical guest? Complex. Never been into it. Really? To me, that's that's immediately turned the channel. See, that's one of those things where if, if I would have known Foo Fighters was going to be on there, I would have watched it live. 
I would tune in for Foo Fighters more than I would Dave Chappelle. You know what they really should have done to set it off there with Chappelle being the host and the opening monologue is they should have had like Kid Rock as the musical guest. Two live crew. Have two live crew come out and play band in the USA because that seems uh, rather fitting these days. So new Foo Fighters on February 5th, 2021. Also, a, a recent release that I think that people should go and check out. Bring Me the Horizon, releasing their new album, Post-Human Survival Horror. Sure, Huckleberry's never heard that one. But, you know, they, they also have a song on there that is called Obey, and that is featuring a gentleman from the UK by the name of Youngblood. And I really, really dig the song, Huckleberry. So you know what I did? I went and I checked out this Youngblood guy. He's got a new album coming out on December 4th. It's called Weird. Guess what Youngblood sounds like? It's freaking weird. I mean, but I'm going to tell you, if you've got kids that are super into like 21 pilots, absolutely check out Youngblood. I think they will like it very, very much. So there's my, my musical recommendations for the week. I have no idea what any of those are. What about Foo Fighters? You don't know who Foo Fighters are? You don't listen to the Foo Fighters? Oh, yeah, I knew who they are. I, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't name you a song. That's That that hurts me. That hurts me a lot. Let's talk about something that we, we, we both know plenty about now. Because, you know, all of our friends on social media, you know, they're, they're all like viral disease experts. I mean, hell, I feel like I should be a doctor by this point because I know so much about COVID. This morning... The, the latest numbers coming out, 126,000 new cases in the United States. I, I, I don't fucking care. I don't care about fucking cases. Tell me how many people were hospitalized today. Tell me how many people died today. I don't give a fuck about your cases. I don't give a shit about some guy who's going to school at the University of fucking Texas who goes out and, and throws his little fucking temper tantrum because Trump won the state of Texas. And he thinks that, you know, on Monday, I should probably go get me a COVID test. I feel fine, but, you know, I should probably go get me a COVID test. And then they run their stupid bullshit test that they're spinning up to 45 fucking cycles when, you know, the, the actual recommendation is more like 27. And, oh, you've got COVID. Are you sure? Because I feel fine. Nope, you got COVID. That's another case. Go home and quarantine for two weeks. You'll be fine. That's something, that's something we got to look into by next week to see if they actually had testing stations set up at these rallies. Oh, man. They don't even care. Like, I, I was seeing people all over the country. They're having these, like, giant parties. Hell, there was one down in Iowa City. Dozens of people showed up, as was reported on the news this morning. Dozens of people. Holy shit. Dozens of people showed up. But I'm seeing rallies in like, you know, New York City or Washington, D.C., where there's thousands of people lining the streets, you know, with their their yay Trump lost parade. Not that Biden won. Nobody actually gives a shit that Biden won. It's more about Trump losing. They're happy that Trump lost. Bunch of them out there running around in ma without masks, no social distancing. And watch, there's going to be a covid spike. Or does covid just go away now because Joe Biden's going to tackle the coronavirus? What the fuck does that mean? I don't need empty platitudes at this point. We've been locked down for basically nine fucking months. I need policy. I need action. I need to know what you're actually going to do. Not empty platitudes. Clearly, empty platitudes don't work. That's been Trump for four fucking years. Well, you know, actually, what you're saying there, it, 
it, now that now we're getting word, you know, breaking Monday afternoon that we're just we're, we're right there. They, they've got the vaccine for this thing. Uh, and, you know, what were people saying? Oh, you know, it's going to be days after we settle this thing that we're going to have this announcement that they got some kind of cure for this thing. Now we're getting ready for our next great debate. You know, people are going to be accepting this thing. I guess, you know, the, the left's going to be lining up to take a shot from this thing. The right's going to be stubborn. There's going to be standoffish on this thing. Well, yeah, because Operation Warp Speed was a Trump policy that Biden's going to get all the credit for. And is going to take all the credit for, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, who's going to get the credit for this thing? They're both going to claim to it. You know, Trump on the way out the door, this is my gift to you. Uh, you know, remember this. You know what I want is Trump's gift to me? I want at 11 o'clock on January 20th, an hour before the inauguration, I want Trump to come out and be like, hey, you remember all those sealed indictments I was promising you? Here you go. Remember when I said I was going to declassify everything from 9-11? Here you go. Like everything that he said he was going to do four years ago, just do it like an hour before Biden gets inaugurated. Everything about you know, Area 51, everything about Roswell. Hell, you can go ahead and tell me who actually killed Kennedy because I have my own speculations, but you know, who knows? I want Trump to declassify all of it an hour before Biden gets inaugurated. That's my gift to you. Yeah, man. In Trump fashion, come on. Howdy show in Russia, in North Korea, in China. It's the Trump files. He's going to go to their airwaves, and each week he's going to start revealing these things and start bringing in huge dollars, baby. Huge. Huge. You know, I do think that you're partially right. Because there are so many people pissed off at Fox News and all of the other, like, major news outlets. But, like, even the people on the right are pissed off at Fox for calling Arizona for calling this race in general when there's so many ongoing litigations that I think there could be a mass exodus from Fox News and I think it could be the Trump News Network. I could absolutely see Donald Trump buying a TV station and becoming a media mogul. And that's, you know, there's so many outlets here. Is, you know, why would he want to get back into the political game? He knows what it's about. He knows the scrutiny you're under, how they're going to manipulate you in their certain ways. He's an individual. He's seen that of it. He sees now he can grasp that control, and he has this such loyal following. He himself doesn't have to get back into the game, but again, he can be that tremendous influencer. Yeah, and I expect that absolutely. But you know, in addition to 126,000 new cases of coronavirus this morning, there's another corona story that is bugging the ever-loving shit out of me. And I brought this up to you a couple of days ago, and it's what's going on in Denmark. Uh, there is a mutation of the coronavirus, evidently, that has invaded the mink population in Denmark. Uh, WHO re is also now reporting that they have found mink's populations in six different countries that are having this mutation, and the scientists are freaking out. Since June of 2020, 214 human cases of COVID have been identified in Denmark with SARS-CoV-2 variants associated with farmed manks, including 12 cases with a unique variant reported on November 5th. All these cases have, have been recognized 
And the cases range from seven years old to 79 years old with a clear link to the mink farming industry. Now, Rick, here's what really, really bothers me. You know how many people live in Denmark? Uh, plead the fifth again. I, give me the number here. Five and a half million. I was going to say, like, give me it. Like, let me, I was going to guess, like, state-wise, uh, about the size of Ohio. Five and a half million people live in Denmark. There are currently between 15 and 17 million minks in Denmark. And you know what their solution is? Kill all the minks. All of them. All 17 million minks. The entire population needs to be wiped out to protect the 5.5 million people of Denmark because there are 214 human cases. Rick, that's genocide. What happens when, you know, there is a COVID variation that shows up in, I don't know, say Native American people or Hispanic people? Are we just going to wipe out the entire population to save everybody else? Well, I mean, do, do you make a discrepancy between you're talking about a human life and an animal? Who are we to say that our lives are more important than theirs? Because we're the top of the, we're the top of the mountain. We're the top of the chain. Okay. Well, here's the other thing that is really, really concerning about this when it comes to Denmark, you know what their number one export is in Denmark? Fur. So you're going to wipe out the entire population of minks. You're going to wipe out your number one export. You're going to crash your entire economy because 214 people got sick. Well, I have a lot of other questions here. You know, what is the, who is the powers that be pushing this movement? Where is the, the counter group at that's opposed to this? Where's PETA uh, at? You would think they would be everywhere. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. You know, especially over, you know, in that part of the world there. Well, not just in that part of the world, man, because like I said, this is happening in six different countries. And guess what? One of those countries is the United States because this is happening in Utah. Well, again, yeah. Why isn't this getting your traction? Who is monitoring this? I cannot believe there's not more opposition to this thing. And, and, and I could see, you know, if there wasn't a, a serious issue between these, you know, where they are the carriers and it is spreading to a, an absurdly amount of human beings. And yes, that is that is protocol that, that I would go with. Uh, but we're talking 214. That's absolutely ridiculous. And the important thing to me, 214 cases. Not 214 people have died. 214 cases. Rick, when did we become so obsessed with cases? Like, we're more concerned with people catching this thing, even if they may be asymptomatic, then we are people actually dying. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Again, it, it is the the illusion. It is a magician's trick of where we are associating a case that is out there with the casualties. And, and that's what people are getting lost in. It, it's the same as when, you know, I've been saying this for a while here, is you regularly hear, Equality is now being confused with priority and vice versa. 
it, it's so frustrating to me because I see this every morning. We're on our local news. They come on and they say, you know, we currently have, there's 100,000, and I'm just using very rough numbers. These are not accurate numbers. We have 100,000 cases in the state of Iowa with 85,000 recoveries. Then you don't have 100,000 cases. You have 15,000 cases. Why are we still citing cases going all the way back to February and March with people that have been over this shit for six months? Oh, because... 100,000 sounds way more scarier than 15,000. Shut up, slave. Go sit in your goddamn home and don't you dare leave the house unless you know you have to go and celebrate a, a president losing an election. Then that's okay. Corona won't get you there. Go ahead and go to the, go to the local restaurant on a Sunday afternoon, but church is still closed. You can't do that. It's like, you know, Corona, you can go to Applebee's at five o'clock in the afternoon, but you can't go to, you know, time out the local sports bar at 11 o'clock because COVID knows COVID's just waiting outside for you at 11 o'clock outside of the bar. Well, and let's not forget also, Jarko, when we're talking about you're looking at you want those high numbers, you want to pad those stats. It's not necessary for like a political, you know, standpoint. It's also in the case of your financial funding for whatever institute you're with. If it's inside of a hospital, if you're researching anything like this, it's why we go round and round about, you know, how do you properly wear a mask? How should you sanitize? You've got all these different departments, all these either universities, these laboratories, they're all working on this thing. They need to stay cutting edge. They need to continue to develop more scare tactics so that they can pad their funding. It's all financial drive. I mean, it's very simple as it is. It was all also so Joe Biden could get elected president of the United States. Because I firmly believe without COVID, I don't think this election would have even been close. I think Trump would have just blown Biden out of the water if it wasn't for COVID. I firmly believe that. And, and inside of that, what you'd seen during the COVID is, you know, the Democrats firmly pushing there. It goes back that $600. You break that down. It's that 15 an hour that they are so stuck on. If you work 40 hours, it's that $15 an hour that you get. But the bigger picture, and I think what's, you know, people are, it's going to be a, a real eye opener. It's going to be a, a hell of a awakened calling here is who would have been the better representative when we do, when we had the vaccination where we begin to become more immune or it just kind of phase itself. Who would you trust to bounce back an economy, Joe Biden or Trump? Completely agree. All right, let's wrap up this week's show on a much lighter note. Let's throw it over to the two-minute drill with our friend from Sportskedia.com, Mr. Ryan K. Bowman. Sportskeeda.com here to deliver the two-minute drill from HTM Sports. On first down, Notre Dame's victory over Clemson this weekend was epic, and it was everything college football is all about. I'm not a big fan of the Fighting Irish, but their history can't be denied, and the win over the Tigers just adds to their long list of lore. Second down, 
MLB is on the verge of a pending labor crisis with threats of a shutdown or a strike limit. You think we'll have baseball in 2022? Third down. After getting smashed by the Saints on Sunday Night Football, Tom Brady and company down in Tampa Bay have shown they aren't the Super Bowl contenders they were advertised to be. Fourth down. Frank Gore is an ageless wonder. At 37 years old, he's still playing running back in the NFL. He was drafted out of Miami back in 2005 and is now one of the all-time leaders in rushing yards. He should and will be a Hall of Famer when his career is done. Before I go, I want to remind everybody you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K. Bowman and on Facebook at Ryan K. Bowman, and you can follow my NFL and pro wrestling coverage every day at sportskeeda.com. So now it comes to the moment of truth. It's the question of the week. Rick and Jargo, I'm going to throw it out there. This season, the Seahawks' DK Metcalf has emerged as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So I'm going to throw it out to you guys. I ask you this. Who, in your opinion, is the best wide receiver in the NFL right now? And as always, via con Dios. Who is the best wide receiver in the NFL? Huckleberry, I got to say, I agree with Ryan on this one. I'm going with DK Metcalf from Seattle. And the reason I'm going with DK Metcalf is because to me, in a modern context, when I look at who is the best wide receiver in the NFL... I look at who is the wide receiver that does not play for my team that scares me the most. And to me, that's clearly DK Metcalf. That kid's speed, his catching ability, regardless of what the stats say, every individual play, I am watching DK Metcalf and I hope that he does not get the ball. Who do you think? You're absolutely right. I know this isn't going to sound fun, so we're going to have to spend the conversation a little bit. I absolutely agree with you and Ryan. Now, it comes down to we when you look at those tangibles, you know, what are the parameters that we're dealing with here? And to me, it's absolutely to say if we look at the game today, that one game changer, that any moment, everything on the line, you do not want to be looking across or you want on your team, it's got to be Metcalf. To me, though, it was this seemed like a much easier question to answer than it, absolute, than it actually was. Uh, I remember a time, you know, you and I, let's say our boom period of, you know, our fandom in sports, probably nineties, early two thousands on that. Even when we're going up in the eighties, you and I were talking off there. We can name one, definitely the number one receiver on every team, if not both of their top two, uh, where now we've seen the game evolve so much that it, that it is so much more passer friendly. It's about the overall unit, you know, the total package that you put together and how they're going to spread that ball, your depth, you, you know, who you got down low, who can spread the field for you. The position of wide receiver or more, you know, maybe the importance of an individual has really blossomed out where that unit is so important for the success of a team. You know, the other guy that kind of stood off the page to me going with these rookie wide receivers is Chase Claypool. And of course, you can't talk about Chase Claypool without talking about Juju Smith-Schuster and the rest of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are currently sitting at 8-0, and and at this point just look absolutely unstoppable. Rick, I don't know what to do with the Steelers at this point, because you got Juju on one side, you got Claypool on the other side. The only answer is you got to drop seven guys in coverage, hope that you can get some kind of pressure on Big Ben with your front four, 
And then the Terminator is going to just eat you up. Freaking Connors just go absolutely nuts. Is Pittsburgh the best team in the NFL right now? Well, you know, absolutely. And it's kind of remarkable first team in franchise history to be at this 8-0 mark. That's crazy, isn't it? You would have thought the Steel Curtain pulled that off. No, I think, you know, it really it speaks to how difficult of a task that is. That's true. You look at how many great teams, just not through this, you know, the Steel Curtain, but how many great teams they've had, you know, over the last 20, 25 years to get to that point. Uh, it's it, it even funnier that you say, can you get four people to get pressure on Ben? I, I don't know if that's enough. I mean, that guy is an absolute wrecking ball back there. you got to hit him with everything you've absolutely got to bring him down. It's funny that you say that there because, you know, I know it, it's the, the chances are good. The odds are not in the favor, but the talk of the town here in Cincinnati, you want to talk about a defining moment for a young stud. I mean, if he's going to make himself, that's going to be, if he's going to set himself apart, that's going to be that lean off for, you know, in the bios, the, the DVDs, whatever, the story of Burrow. Immortality. You bet. When we go back there and you talk about that defining moment of greatness for quarterbacks, you know, to come, what an opportunity. As a Bengals fan, what is the bigger win? Beating the Steelers or beating the Browns? What's what's the bigger win for a Cincinnati fan? Well, you, you have here in the division, obviously, the Battle of Ohio, which has lost so much luster. Uh, and really, it never really recaptured itself since the original Browns lost. Uh, so really even inside of it, the Browns and Bengals versus each other. It's fun for the insight rivalry, but both teams would rather get wins over the Steelers, and especially there in Cleveland, as you know, I'm connected with that fan base as well, uh, which is very personal to them is to get those wins over the Ravens, uh, you know, to get that from Baltimore because, you know, taking the team, but the team that, you know, it's, it's their divisions. They're the Kings of it. Everybody's gunning for the Steelers every week. And we talk about, you know, just, we can't believe that they've been eight. No, Think about how tough this division's been for so long. Yeah, it's so weird because I kind of feel like Baltimore is flying under the radar, which is just weird to me. You know, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I you know, I, I get to study a lot. I, I watch and you know, just see a lot from the AFC North. Uh, to me, I, I think Baltimore's right where they're at. Uh, they're a team that has been, you know, what really separates those that are going to break out. Is last week we we're talking about the potential of a, a dynasty there in the Chiefs and those teams that are chasing them that are going to be kind of you know bidding for that position and all that. Do the Ravens have that? I think they're a few steps away. They're just missing a few key elements. They're you know they they're they're one of those teams that have been exposed at times. And if you can if you've got the the, the speed to keep up with that and the coverage, you can shut them down easily. They're a little bit away. Where in the sense that the Steelers they just continue to evolve. And, you know, they had that down year. I called it as soon as Ben went down, immediately he'll be the comeback player next year. Yep. They're going right back to the top of us. They're going to be Super Bowl contenders. Yep. We talked quite a bit about that on HTM Sports over the course of last year. The other thing that we kind of talked about that nobody was really talking about, and now everybody seems to be talking about, are we sure Lamar Jackson's that good? Like, he, he he's definitely, he's he's kind of like Michael Vick. Like, he is the most exciting player to watch one individual player play a football game. I'm picking Lamar Jackson. If I need one player to go out and win me a big game, I'm still waiting for Lamar Jackson to get that first big signature win. I just, I haven't seen it out of him. That's my worry with Baltimore. And he's still so young. Yeah. 
they, they do have a good system. They are committed to winning. They are going to move things forward. But again, is it enough to get you to that next level? Well, and we've it, seen this over and over and over and over again with these super athletic mobile quarterbacks. They come in. It works great for a year or two. And then people figure it out. You get those one in a million of that evolve. You get the the Wilsons and Cunningham. Yeah. You know, it's can he get to that level? You know, it's going to be on him to be able to evolve his game. Final topic for this week's show has got to be the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints just absolutely beat the ever-loving piss out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night. Rick, this thing wasn't even close. People were starting to actually believe in Tampa Bay, you know, that that Brady was going to lead them to the promised land. That opening game against the Saints, it, it, it was just a fluke. They've got it figured out now. That's clearly not the case. I, I feel like Tampa Bay is in a little bit of trouble now. Well, we go back to this, you know, the initial thought there. You know, it might be a new dog, but the old dog still runs the yard. And, and that's the message you get sent there. One of the things that, you know, has really been interesting about Saints, I believe it was uh, Cowherd that was talking about this earlier this week. And he really felt that there's been something off with the Saints all year. And going back to even the Black Lives Matter situation. Where, you know, they they might seem on the surface that everything is, you know, okie-dokie, everything's fine and all that. Uh, but be, deep down, there might have been some resentment. You know, maybe they don't trust each other. The brotherhood isn't the bond in the brotherhood isn't quite what it was. It may be something like that. You know, the, the Saints really took to heart and said, we got to go out here and w- this is an opportunity to make a an absolute point. Uh, draw our line of sand, show that we are just as good as we've ever been. This division still runs through us. This conference still runs through us. We're here to make a statement. On that flip side, though, isn't this one of those situations you get like into a postseason, something along those lines where Brady's absolutely going to thrive, where he's been embarrassed twice during the season? If I'm, if I'm the Saints, I'm ecstatic that I got these two big wins this season on this thing. I absolutely do not want to run into them for a third time. Really hard to beat the same team three times. We have seen that over and over and over again throughout the course of the NFL. Rick, we talk about Pittsburgh and how they're probably the best team in the AFC right now. Who's the best team in the NFC? If you had to pick a Super Bowl representative for the NFC right now, who in the hell is it? Because this week it looks like it's Green Bay. Next week it looks like it's Tampa. The week after that it looks like it might be New Orleans. The whole time I'm thinking in my head it's probably Seattle. I, I, I don't know who the best team in the NFC is. Well, of course, you know, you laid out everyone there, and they all have great arguments and great chances. So uh, the Eagles. The Eagles. There you go. There you go. Shout out to Stevie. He's a big Eagles fan. If they get in, watch out. 7-9-1 and one might win the NFC least. What a pathetic conference that is. You know, I, I, we talk about if you if you need one quarterback to win a big game for you, is it not Russell Wilson? Every time, I mean, that guy, he is the best football player on the face of the planet. Sorry, Mahomes fans. Sorry, Lamar fans. Like, I, I know how much you guys love all these flashy left-handed throws and all this other crazy shit. Russell Wilson's the best football player on the planet, without question in my mind. It's really a case of when you're doing everything right, people barely notice you're doing anything at all. Yep, it's true. Very true. 
So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Hook us up with a five-star rating. Help us out in the algos. Then visit the site that you may not be listening to yet, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, or Hameen Media, hackerhameen.podbean.com, or hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. Special thanks to Mr. Ryan K. Bowman over at sportskedia.com for the two-minute drill. Make sure that you head over there and read all of his columns on a weekly basis. Find us across all social media at HTMPWPod. Huckleberry, I actually started updating the Facebook page and stuff last night. Yeah, I know. I thought it was weird. I did that for about five minutes, and then I was like, screw this. This is Huckleberry's job. I ain't going to do this. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Follow my other show, Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast online at DestinoPod.com. Have an all-new episode coming up later this week, and this is a big one. It's the Power Struggle Review, and I will be joined, are you ready for this, by Dr. Manbeast. That's right. Dr. Ted is going to be joining me for a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast. Hooked him up so he could watch the show. Looking forward to getting his thoughts as an outside observer of a big New Japan show. Kind of see what he thinks. Looking forward to that. RBV, I know you got some big stuff coming up this weekend, too, along with uh, Mr. Beast. How did the beeps, the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks keep up with the real RBV? Well, you know, when it comes to uh, RBV Fitness, we're going to be we're going to be getting geared up for that big showdown right here next week with Stevie Richards Fitness. So I, I got to get that pump on. And what better way than a couple slices of that sweet, sweet pizza pie? It's it's pizza week here in Cincinnati. So I'm hitting the trail beginning tomorrow. There's there's like 22 places that I have to try to hit here. It's nine dollars a pie. I got to take a crew with me. I can't do this all by myself here. But we're gonna have the uh, the delicious of the day pizza theme going out this week. Of course, you can keep up with uh, that across all social media at the Real RBV Jargo, as you mentioned, the Hameen Media Group, HackerHameen.Podbean.com. Next Monday, it's gonna be the return of the RBV to the Monday locker room. Yeah, I, but let me say, they've been slacking a little bit. You know, they're not getting the hard quitting, the hard hitting, the thought provoking questions going there. So I'm going to have to come back and, and get back on the saddle again, get us going in the right direction. But uh, I just happy to be back here, man. Uh, Hitting the Marks podcast, we're rocking and rolling. Now, I know about Chicago style pizza. I know about New York style pizza. I know about Cincinnati chili. What, if anything, makes Cincinnati pizza special? Well, I think, you know, this is a, uh, you know, the true queen city. Uh, So much trade came through the rivers here. This was, you know, the the first gateway to the West. So you had all these different flavors, these ethnicities and personalities coming to Cincinnati. So we have all of those flavors. And across the board here, as I said, there's 20, I believe there's 22 participants in this thing. And they're all going to offer something different here. Uh, so we're, it's going to be unique flavors, unique tastes. I'm ready to hit as many as I can. I like it. I like it. If you have topics or questions for the show, feel free. Send them over to hittingthemarks at gmail.com. We will talk to you back here next week with Mr. Stevie Richards, an all-new episode of the Hitting the Marks podcast. But for now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. Your bad guy! Stop! Stop! Go! 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 Go!